love and feel it down now, I'm feeling great Things are really flipping around, all you in the day But till tomorrow, till tomorrow, Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. This week's episode is brought to you by Dainese, inspired by humans. Two Enthusiasts Podcast. You know we're still going to send it. <laughs> we're going to send it. So good. So, so Quentin, one of the topics I want to talk about on the show today is I just got back from Thunder Hill. Did you the- send it? I fucking sent it. <laughs> You know I'm going to send it. You could send it. You know I'm going to send it. You could send at Thunder Hill. This is a racetrack in, in central, northern central California that has a, a thing called the Cyclone, you know, trying to be like the corkscrew at, at uh, Laguna Seca. But it's a, you go up a hill and make a, a turn at the apogee of the hill and it's gnarly. And if you uh, over accelerate up the hill and don't get your braking done, you could send it. Oh, yeah. Really far. In fact, now I'm thinking about it. I want to see somebody do that on a dirt bike off that thing. But I guess there's really no way to land it, there's right? no. It's yeah. such a... It's such a... It's just a point. It's just a ramp straight up and there's no there's no backside. It's it's really fun to do on a road race bike because the rest of the... Uh, the rest of the track is like true rider's track. Like truly uh, very much a difficult... A uh, lot of problems to to encounter uh, off camber corners, decreasing racing ra- radius, increasing. It's great. It's an awesome place. Yeah, yeah. It was funny. Um, this is the reason I bring it up because at dinner we're sitting there and I'm not paying attention, but you know we've got all the Yamaha racer guys there, and, and I just hear JD Beach go like, you know, I'm gonna send it, and I go, don't be silly, man. You know, I'm gonna send it. He's like, he gets out his phone. He has the video like already there. He's like, I watch this every day, and I'm like, yes. And I can't remember his name. What's his name? It's a real specific. Larry Enticer. Yeah, and I think Enticer comes from something like I, I would like to know the 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 reason why. But he wears a full on Canadian tuxedo. I don't know where in Canada he's from, but he's got to be Canadian. All of it, right? He's from all of Canada. He's from Canada. He's an he amalgamation of Canadian. He represents Canada for yeah. sure, and he's got the freaking full on Canadian tuxedo in the video, and he launches a. Uh, Yamaha, I, I don't think the Yamaha is an enticer either that or that's what he calls it. And he launches it uh, in, a, in a horrific way multiple times and it's pretty impressive. You must see. I'm a little nap, it's a little dark, but you guys silly? I'm still going to send it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, it is. It's it is so good. good. Watch it now. Yeah, everyone everyone needs to to go see it. In fact, it'll probably be, it'll probably be in the show notes. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Or absolutely. at least on Facebook. Sure. Because... Everyone's following us on Facebook and Instagram now because we we told them to. And and this week I got a special request. You don't have to follow us on any social media. Just just tell a friend. Like call up a motorcycle buddy right now and be like, "Hey, Jensen and Quentin are like a soft C minus at doing motorcycle podcasts. You should listen to it. <laughs> it's mediocrely good." <laughs> that would be that would that would really help the show. Grow the audience. Sure. Improve the breed. Yep. So all about it. R six. R six. R six. Yeah, sure. New R six. New for this year ish. Ish with like an asterisk. Uh, Yamaha calls it its fourth generation machine. I think that's a bit of a stretch. So so for those that don't know, the the R six has been in its current form for the last twelve years. 
Really? Really? Been Twelve. It's yeah. funny to think about. Like, oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, but for for 2017, the 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 chassis and the engine pretty much stay the same. Uh, there's a magnesium subframe, and there's there's some different stuff to the forks in the in the front magnesium end. Magnesium subframe, really? Yeah. Huh. There's, I remember when it was a big deal when it was like some sort of vacuole diecast or whatever it was back in that time. I was working for Graves at the time, and everybody was really stoked that the subframe was this weird thing that was super light and rad. It was, man, that bike was really trick. It was, if you think about the time frame, that bike was so far ahead. I wouldn't say it was ahead of its time, but it was designed so well that you couldn't, like, it was going to be tough to better. Think about this. Think about this. Uh, horsepower per liter. It's over two, right? Well, I mean, yeah. So now we're getting, if you look at the superbike range, we're getting about 200 horsepower to a liter. Yeah. If you And if you take, let's say, so a 600 would be 60% of that that number ends up being 120. But then think about the fact that that horsepower figure, you know, these these bikes, all these supersports are making about 120 horsepower plus. Yeah, yeah. And they've been doing that for the past decade. So, you know, like I like that was one of the things like where I've been having to do this balancing act like in the and like the too long didn't read it version of of this review or my review is that you know, it's really kind of similar to the old bike and I think a lot of the changes they made in the real world application don't change a lot, but it was a bike that was already leading its segment. And now it just, it leads the segment even more. So and there's like, nothing I don't wrong know. with iterative change like that. Right. There's nothing wrong with iterative change, but I think the biggest pushback is that they came out with such a big change with the R1. It was such a ground up new design and so much more advanced than what the previous R1 was that to then see the R6 not get a similar treatment is kind of tough. But made I, it look the same and has those weird Quasimodo lights. Uh, it's got Quasimodo. I, love, I actually like the way it looks a lot. No, you're right. It, they did a much better job of hiding those ugly lights on that bike. They you got barely that right. Tell. And the intake looks good. And the it tail looks like the MotoGP bike. That's look, all. If you could make a Rossi replica of that bike, and it would look rad, right? Whereas if you tried that on the other one, it would still kind of be look a little, a little wonky. Yeah. But it's, um, you know, that's the, that's the hard thing. Like the third generation machine was so good. And I would say it leads the the super sport class. What do you think? I would assume so. I mean, you think of the other. There's, eh, it's tough for me to say because I don't spend a lot of time on them. So I'm not going to definitively. Oh yeah, totally. I would say you have to look a little bit at the racing. Um, and for us in the states and all these point and shoot crappy tracks we have in the United States, generally, right, with the exception of like Miller and uh, I don't know. There's a couple other tracks that are super flowing and. It's a different deal. Whereas if you go to Europe, there's a, a much different setup. But Yamaha has been racing World Supersport. I don't think for a long time with a factory effort, no. have they? So it used even, to be even this year's is still kind of quasi moto factory. Sure. So it would be, you know, back in the Belgarda Yamaha days, that was a big deal. Um, and Yamaha was really good at, at promoting it, but they had to on that first generation R6. Uh, the carbureted one from what was it, ninety eight or ninety nine, something yeah, like that. So they don't have to do it as much. They're they've got it, but in the U.S., if you're racing anywhere and you're not on an R six, you're you're on the back foot for sure. But that doesn't really necessarily equate to the bike not being rad. You know what I mean? Like even if the Kawasaki's, I mean, there's not none of them are that good because of the same thing you just said. The weight is about the same. They've plateaued. There's only so much weight you're going to get off them. There's only so much more horsepower you're going to get out of them. And the tires dictate everything. And the tire, there's no new tire technology. There's no new suspension technology that's going to make the tires work any worse or better. So uh, it's plateaued for sure. And we've talked about this in the, in the Superbike class as well. They've gotten to the point where it's like overkill 
Eh, eh, what are you what are you going to do? How are you going to make it? You almost have to make them bad or you have to do something to make them make that class more interesting, which might be like doing a V4 or different, different. And this is something we talked about in a podcast earlier. It was like, we thought maybe the new R6 would come as a triple right? and they would do something cool like that. But eh. and I think that is, I think that is a great example of, of mansion expectations because there was so many, there were so many rumors going around about it, maybe being a triple and, and talk about that. And I think that kind of set up some some idea like, okay, so if it's a triple, that means brand new engine, that means brand new chassis. And at that point, yeah, you're gonna put electronics on it. It's gonna be a, it'll be a completely new machine. Won't that be rad? Because Yamaha makes rad bikes. Let's get excited. And then we see it and we go like, so it's the same engine and it's pretty much the same chassis. And yeah, you, you, put, electro- you put electronics on. It is the same chassis minus that magnesium subframe and uh, minus the fact that the suspension is is all new, it's all new KYB right. suspension. But where the, and the, where the front end gets bolted up to the steering head, that's the same chassis same, all the way same back. Same steering to column the, all the way down. Same swing arm. The uh, triple tree lower is shorter. So here's here's the thing, huh. right? So the 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 front forks are more rigid. The KYB forks are a lot more rigid. They're not big piston showas. They're KYBs. They're KYBs. Okay, and. So those are more rigid, and then the front axle is more rigid. Hmm. And Yamaha was like, they when they, when they went out and rode the bike, they're like, oh yeah, we've made this too stiff. Hmm. So to loosen it up uh, again, they reduced the height of the lower clamp on the triple clamp, and that brought in some some more suppleness. And and I got suppleness to, uh, suppleness. I got to ride the 2016 bike and the 2017 bike back to back while it was still dry at Thunderhill. I mean, if you if we'd done like a blind taste test on that, I think I would have had a really hard time telling the difference between the two bikes. The 2016 bike definitely does things differently in a couple turns when you're hauling ass that the 2017 doesn't do. Like the Thunderhill has uh, three left hand turns that are really quick, and the one, the final one going up the hill, the blind hill where you where you drop. That's the one I worry about. Talking about sending it, you talk about the cyclone. Mm-hmm. I got no issue with the cyclone. Oh, yeah, no. Cyclone's an easy turn once you learn how to how to do it. Yeah. But the wheelie hill, I always have a really hard time with. I sent it one time on a 125 off that. Off and the it, cyclone or the wheelie the, hill? It was the first lap out. The next one, the the, the other wheelie hill. The we, I, think I, they, I think they call that wheelie hill. Yeah. Wheelie? Wheelie? Wheelie they do. They wheelie do. Right, wheelie do. I might be wrong. I call it that. Well, whatever it is, it I I sent it <laughs> and I flat tracked out uh, and back on track. Oh, barely yeah. by the skin of my teeth and had to pull in and have a moment. Right. I, I got that. clumped. Done that sure. same thing. If you get that, if you get that hill wrong, you, uh, dude, it's you blind. End, you, you end, so that's the thing. So it's the, so good. The local guys will all tell you that you have to look for, there's a water tower that you can yeah. see yeah. and to aim for the water tower. But that's not really true. That's a great <laughs> starting point. Yeah. But it's not quite right. You Depends kinda, on the bike you're you on. You kind of right? want to aim a little bit, at least for me, I always aim a little bit to the right of the water tower because I like to get on the inside line coming down the hill. But if you fuck it up a little bit, you will be in the dirt and it is either, I mean, it's tall grass. So in the summer, it's it's brown, tall grass. And in the spring, it's it's wet, green grass. And Oh, yeah. It'd it, be normal. It's, normal. Uh, be it's pucker factor 10 every sure. time. So what was it about this bike that changed? It was different than the old one in this spot. Yeah, it's hard to describe. I'm I'm probably not the best uh, test rider. I'm not a, a Bradley Smith or, or Andrea Davizioso. But the the feedback that it would give, especially in that that third turn, I'm trying to pull up the track map to 
see if I can tell you what turn number it is because I can't do it off the top of my head. Uh, what they call turn eight. I mean, it's a really fast turn and it's got kind of a weird asphalt transition and they just patched it in the last year or two. And so it's just just how the bike handles that bump when you're leaned over all the way and you're and like that's a turn like if you hit the brakes into that turn you're going too slow and it is it is a it is a it is a turn that like actually like I think a lot like turn one at Thunder Hill that is a great measurement of how much uh, fortitude you have in the mid range of your body in the mid range in the mid range. Like intestinal, right, right intestinal, right in, the, right, in the, right in the John McGinnis area. Right? That means <laughs> in the McGinnis area. That's so mean. Um, <laughs> that means your intestines are strong. That means you're getting your shit together. You're, getting, you're, yeah. like, you're making like a large oh. intestine and getting, getting your, your shit, shit together. together. Love it. Oh, um, so good. <laughs> now, turn one at Thunderhill is one of the my favorite it, ever, and it's. Uh, I'll say this: if you're on like a middleweight style bike, like uh, for me, it was a forty-eight. Two downshifts. Not a lot of brakes. Like it's the key. That is, if you do two down, and this is from top speed, pretty long straightaway. Pretty long straight. You're going to be doing. I forgot to look up the spawner to see where we're hitting, but uh, anywhere between 150, 170, depending on what the bike you're on. Yeah, and so two. Imagine two downshifts. Tip it in, scrubbing speed off. I mean, this is one of those places where you feel like a hero because you can feel the front and the rear just kind of hazing. And then you get on the throttle going out of it because it's uphill. And there's a lot of grip because it's number one, it's going uphill. Number two, there's a little bit of a cant to the track. A little bit. It's like can't. It, oh yes, well, I can. That's the thing. Like it's deceiving how much how much speed you can scrub through the turn. Which turn two is like that as well. Yeah, sure. And and turn eight. Like that's the other thing because it's another one of those things you're transitioning going up the hill, so you're getting a little bit of uh, a little bit of help from that. And it's just man, especially on the R six, it is wide fucking open throttle. And um, but yeah, it, it it definitely was a spot where I saw a lot of difference. It's one of my favorite turns just in the U S. in general. So I like that turn a lot, but it was one of those things where like, yeah, okay, this bike's talking to me a little bit differently than the 2017 is. And I wouldn't say it's better or worse. It's just one of those spots where it's like, okay, I'm definitely feeling something different. And talking to a couple of the guys that I was riding with some fellow journalists, that seemed to be kind of the consensus was like, you know, it's really hard to tell the difference between these two machines. But if you um, want the electronics package it comes with, well, which, is thing. it adjustable or not? So it comes with traction control. It comes with three driving modes through the ride-by-wire, and it comes with ABS. And the ABS does not switch at the all. ABS cannot be turned off. You cannot turn off. There's no adjustment whatsoever. Okay, so in, in within the modes, like on a Ducati, it doesn't like adjust the amount of how much it takes that i would have to double check with yamaha they did not bring anything up like that in the technical briefing and they but the bottom line is you can't turn it off and if it's set happens to be set in the modes because again sander this is what i'm familiar with is the ducati maybe the bmws if you go into a quote-unquote race mode it goes to front only right and it takes a lot to get it to slip so so yeah maybe that's worth explaining how the drive modes work so i don't think it's quite so when you change the the drive mode on let's say a ducati what that does is going to change the, your traction control setting, your wheelie control setting, your yeah. ABS control setting. Yeah. It's like it's it's like an overarching like oh I've gone from race to sport to rain yeah. and it makes all these different changes. That's not the level of sophistication that Yamaha is working with. At least if they are, they're doing a really horrible job of telling everyone about it. Uh, my <laughs> understanding is the driving modes purely are changing the throttle response and the throttle map. Okay, at the butterfly. Fair enough. So you have a and, this and maybe is so, a little trash control, maybe a little bit. That has to no, no, uh, no, because the traction control is separate, and you can adjust the traction control. You can adjust the traction control on the fly. Six levels, 
You can adjust it on the fly. You have to close the throttle. Okay, but that's normal. And sure. you can turn the traction control off. Is it which which uh, where do you um... left thumb for the traction control, right thumb for the driving modes? And can the driving modes be changed while you're uh, on the fly? Yes. Oh, that's cool. Okay, so you can be going down, but does is throttle off another one for the driving mode as well? Probably, maybe I, not. I think so. I mean, I always have a hard like it's hard to adjust with your right thumb and have the throttle open. I don't remember having to close the throttle, but I definitely think the throttle was closed when I did it. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Fair enough. So, so I should, I should back it up a little bit. We had horrible weather at Thunder Hill, but we got really lucky with the weather during the day. So we had a uh, rain overnight, rain in the morning track dried out though, pretty much 90% before we even turned a wheel. So and we this ran- was normal, uh, us press. So all the, n- and, can- and Canadians, we had, uh, we had two or three journalists from Canada. They, they, did they send it? They sent it. Okay. They sent it. Good. They always do, right? Yeah. You expect. What about uh, Mexico? Do they ever invite Mexicans? Uh, some press launches, yeah. I think the way Yamaha works, it it's U.S. Canada. Yeah. And in fact, probably I think, going by fact, language. I think, it's, I think it's Yamaha North America is just U.S. and Canada, but I could be wrong. Yeah. But like I've seen at a few launches, like, yeah, we'll have some Canadian colleagues. It depends how the OEMs are set up because sometimes it's U.S. only. Sure. Sometimes it's North America, which means Canada and U.S. And sometimes North America means like NAFTA, like Canada, U.S. and Mexico. And it just kind of depends. Can you spend an Amero when it's all NAFTA style? Like, do you- no, I, I never... You know, no, no Amaros. No have Amaros. you ever heard that? No. Okay, sorry. We'll have to we'll have to deep dive on that sometime. I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's the conspiracy theory that we're all gonna we're trying to. It's part of the new world order that we're all gonna be. Oh, one, the lizard people. Yeah, lizard people lizard, that are. You'll have lizard, an Amaro. Why well, oh, have yeah, a dollar? That's, that's totally real. Okay, that's totally real. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Sure. Uh, I for one welcome our lizard overlords. <laughs> And you didn't even watch what was the movie that 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 your everybody berated you for not uh, they live. I don't know what you're talking you about. You still haven't seen I don't know that. What you're talking about. <laughs> okay, I saw another rad reference the other day though. Just for totally rad. Oh, it was Marcus's it was birthday. Marcus. <laughs> yeah, right. Marie put that up. I'm like, hell yeah, that's way better than Quicksilver. Are you kidding me with Quicksilver? Really? Freaking bicycle messengers? No, I, I have it. it. I have it on the on the Netflix. It's all queued up. Well, I'll give it a watch. I like things that are queued up. They're way better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for those of you who don't know i have a ponytail which is also called a q which right it's all it's, queued up i'm queued up you're a cutie <laughs> i'm cutie <laughs> some might say you're handsome hand handsome handsome and then all some. right all right sorry we went way off on that one i just was trying to give the listenership a bit of an idea of what you went on because yeah you know what not a lot of people get to hear about what these things are they just read the article and they and don't really think about anything other than that person riding that bike and maybe there's a little bit of a an interesting story behind it. In this case, it was Yamaha saying, yes, we'd like you to come this press launch. Yes, it's a Thunder Hill. Go. And then you drove down there and went to the press launch at Thunder Hill, which is in the middle of nowhere. It is. It's in Willows, California. It, I, I call it my home track because I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And um, that was the track that I went to the most often. It's, and it's so good. It's so good. It's an extremely good track. It is one of the few tracks in the U.S. that has no debt. They just put in a... a so I should say the east course is three miles long. The new west course that they put in is about two miles I've long. I've never been on that. I'd love to go. The west on. course is so good. When did you do that? Uh, we did actually did it for the R3 launch, the oh, Omaha okay. R3 launch. Sure. It is the perfect track for a supermoto. If you have a, a short geared supermoto, yeah. or I should say a tall geared supermoto, because you're gonna you're still gonna hit close to maybe a hundred on the front straight there. 
or the hyper like the hyper would be a great bike yeah, there sure. or if you have any sort of small displacement bike a 600 would be about as big as i'd want to run on the east course or sorry the west course. what about an alta redshift supermoto absolutely that's what i'll have to go for but what it's I'm, really hard to find a track day that does that does just the west course because what they like to do is smash together the east course yeah. and the west course and make a five mile course which sounds awesome but the east and west courses are so different in layout that like You'd be sitting there like having a horrible time on one side yeah. to have a great time on the other. Yeah. Like a 600 would be like the perfect balance because the 600 yeah. is fun around the West Course and it'd be fun around the it's East like Course. It's like ORP out in Eastern Oregon. Similar Kinda deal. Like that. That. A thousand's okay. You can have fun on it for sure. But a 600 or middleweight super mid bike is definitely the way to go. Yeah. Bottom line, bitch in place. Uh, a couple hours north of San Francisco. Uh, if you're going to go there, you have to be weary of where you stay because uh, I've had a lot of friends get shit stolen out of the area of I Willows. Sleep at the track. Yeah, that's it's, where it's probably a smart they're move. They're cool about it. They've got a full facility. They got Wi-Fi that reaches all the way out into the paddock. They have a covered garage. Finally, covered garage because it gets hot as balls. I, I out raced there. there at 111 degrees one time. That was one of the more harrowing things I've yeah. ever done, which you was definitely, there that You definitely deep. need to be mindful of, of the conditions, but they've got a good facility. It's not like some other tracks in, in California that are like, it's just a track in desert. It's It's got a full facility. They're, they're good people. The weather does get hot during the summer. We were lucky for ours that it wasn't hot, but it did have rain. So that's what I want to get back to. So it, it had, we had a pretty good, we had, a, I would say a damp track in the morning, but it dried out pretty quick before we even turned a wheel we started the day off on bridgestone r10 dot race tires which are not oem spec the oem spec is the bridgestone s21 so that is of note and i think and i think when we're going to get into the talk about electronics that is something we have to remember that we're using a tire that isn't the do um the oem spec tire yeah what makes sense and and, and again that's something that the, the listenership should understand is that if you're going to put a bunch of most people are fairly quick that are journalists quick Let's enough my my pr at thunder hill is a 203 which is decently good what, is, what does that mean uh, pr a personal record okay but best, my best lap at okay personal record i've never heard of anybody say that okay um and that's decently good and i was on the slower end of the people there yeah. I mean, we had, we had, I mean, obviously. What did you set your personal record on? Uh, bone stock, mirrors, OEM tire, everything, RSV4. Okay. Got it. It's, um, a good, it's good to know. It's good for reference with, with for people. ABS still on and everything. Like it was literally street mode. I think my best lap, I would say, was probably a 59 or a minute or two minute on a 125. 15 years ago yeah and that's it's that's, a different track that's hauling the mail on a 125 there. well that a lot of people that's a that's a, that's another podcast tale that we should uh, approach sometime when we're not trying to talk about this bike but momentum bikes fast momentum bikes a lot of people are like oh it's 125 that'd be better suited for the go-kart track um f you know not at all not even close a grand prix 125 bike is made for Grand Prix tracks and is made for momentum. So sure. the, if you look at the lap times of the smaller classes, they're, yeah, of course they're far off. But if you tried, if you looked at 600cc street bike times or whatnot relative to 125s at flowing fast tracks, that's 125 fair. corner speed is so high. That's and at fair. a place like Thunder, Thunder Hill, Hill, especially, yeah, that's fair. you can carry some freaking speed there. So yeah, it is slow relative to like a thousand because I think the current lap record's got to be in the high 40s. High 40s. That's yeah. gnarly. That's so gnarly, right? To, to think of that because back in that day, the, I think the record was in the mid 50s or low 50s. So 
that gives you an idea of the, the listenership. It's two minute lap is a long lap. Like, this is a long track. Lots of corners, lots three, of interesting three miles. stuff. I know, yeah. It's not exactly three miles, but it's but around that. So that, again, that's what the, when it comes to times, uh, cutting off that amount or have adding that much, that's still pretty fast. So the fact that you could do a 203 and that you might have been in the, you, like you said, something around in the, in the mid to two uh, aughts or in the uh, about 210, that's still going pretty well, especially in shitty conditions, right? If someone told me, I got to get my data from from Yamaha. I didn't have a lap timer, but we did have uh, the CCU, the communication. Oh, crap. What's the acronym stand for? It's Yamaha's little data acquisition machine. Yeah. And it's like a $600 add-on. It's little? It's a teeny? Yeah, it's tiny. Okay. It's teeny, tiny. Put it in your pocket, feed an M&M every week. So I haven't had the chance to see the data. If someone told me I did a two ten, I'd be like stoked. Yeah, sure. Because I mean, it's that's legit. Like that's it's a good. little it's a little different when you're at the track to test and evaluate a bike. Yeah, I don't think anyone's you really don't want to send it down. into the grass. You want to send it. I want to send it to the keyboard. Way. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and you don't want to be that guy, <clears throat> Rennie. Um, <laughs> poor guy. Poor guy. Uh, and that's, that was the thing that the conditions were, were really tricky and he got caught out by, by some cold tires and, and those R tens when they are cold are very, very different than when they are warm. <laughs> I like that. It's a very diplomatic way to say they're very different. They're very, when, no, no, no. Like so, when they have grip so and they feel good, they're re- re- side, very different. Side story, side story. So, so, um, a, a journalist went down and, and I would truthfully say for no fault of his own other than. I understand. I, I was one of the few people. We we ended up having rain. Everyone switched over to rain tires, and towards the end of the day, it, it dried out. And I went back in, and I and I begged and pleaded with the Bridgestone guys to put the uh, DOT race tire back on the bike because it was it was so dry out, and yeah. I already shredded the uh, the rain tires, which I want to talk about too. Sure. Um, and they're like, you know, like, they, and they're they're more than happy to do it, but like, boss man, Bridgestone guy comes over, and he's like telling me. And, and the best way he can th- with his English, his limited English, like there's there, these tires are not warm. We haven't had them on a warmer. They are very, very cold. Go out. Please be very careful. We've already had someone crash because of cold tires. And like, this is a normal thing at a press launch for the bikes to all be lined up with warmers with on. With warmers. And you've right? got, we had Bridgestone techs there. We had a tech from Alpine Stars there. The, we had the, Yamaha guys from Japan who were there to make sure everything's running smoothly. And, and they usually try and keep fuel in the bikes because that's another interesting yeah. part of it is... And I've done this at tests where you, you're managing the fuel load. And you do this in racing as well when you're practicing. You're managing that fuel load to try and keep it within the mid-range of the fuel tank. Yeah. Because a, a rider riding around on a bike with a full fuel load can be really poopy about a bike. Sure. As opposed to one that's going out on a light fuel load. But there's nothing poopier than a, a rider who runs out of gas like three-quarters of the way around the track, right? But there's also a difference of a rider getting on a bike with full fuel load lined up at the grid and not knowing what that bike's going to feel like when it's all heavy. Sure. So there's a balance with that. Well, think sure. about think about this for for to put it in perspective for our listeners, right? What's the delta between the dry weight and the curb weight of a motorcycle and understand that like 80% of that is usually the fuel. It is what? 6 gallons per per or sorry, 6 pounds per gallon of fuel. I would say um uh way more than that is the rider, wouldn't you? <laughs> are you are you making a fat joke? <laughs> Are you calling me? Right. Are, you, are you calling me? Are you calling me a little little portly? <laughs> I've been losing weight, man. I've been cutting down the Mountain Dew. I lost like twenty pounds. You should see right now. There's a big old bottle. Like that's a liter. That's a liter of Mountain Dew. Is it not? Well, yeah. <laughs> you got. But I used to drink like two of them. Right, I get it. No, this is a good point. Yeah, it's a good point. It's all about managing. I'm not gonna get the diabetes. <laughs> 
and you got to do a podcast, right? You, if you're going to send it, you listen, might as well have listen, a leader listen, Mountain Dew. Listen, I woke up early. The MotoGP qualifying got canceled, and I was a little tired. And you're like, let's do a podcast. I'm like, I need caffeine. You're yeah. like, okay, you go get diabetes. Mean, meanwhile, I have a base camp IPA, and I'm trying to mellow myself we're going, out. We're going in I'm opposite directions. I'm day drinking, with a, and you're, this you're is stimulating. The, this is the I'm first depressing. and last episode that has advertisements. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all your fault. Okay. Um, <laughs> Where was I going with the tires? Uh, oh, so yeah, so so we put the R10 on. It's cold. It's it not on the warmer. It's, and like, dude, man, stood at turn one for like three laps watching me go. He by. was worried. He, he was, was worried. He he, he knew he, he, he was, was going to very send it. very worried. And and little did he know that I'm such a cheapskate when I go to track days that I never have tire warmers on. So I'm used to warming up uh, a DOT race tire or 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 a slick or whatever. Well, not a slick. I don't usually run slicks because again, I'm a cheapskate. I have a story about that too. We'll have to get to. Yeah. Um, so, but it was interesting because I go and I do the first lap and I'm like, oh God, they put the wrong pressures in. This thing feels horrible. This feels so off and so wrong. I'm like, okay, I just got to get, I just got to get around the lap to get in the exit. I'm like at turn one, I got to get to like turn fucking 15 ASAP. Yeah. And I get through it and it starts when it starts feeling better. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go do, I'm going to go do another lap. I'm going to keep citing it. And then it starts like, I can feel the tire each lap coming in and coming in and coming in. And by, lap three and a half or so i'm like it's right back to where it was and i was like that is the difference that this tire feels between cold and hot and that was amazing to me and I, don't, I don't run bridgestones very often so it's it's not a tire i'm, I'm familiar with especially the r10 i think it was the first time i was ever on an r10 but so to see that night and day difference was was surprising and and kind of telling of how their kind of their tire construction is versus say like a michelin or a pirelli so that for me was was very very interesting and and you know once it got up to temperature man we were hauling out again good. And it, it felt, it felt good. like it steered well and it gave you good feedback yeah. and the grip was fantastic yeah Bridgestones are weird man the, you know especially after in post MotoGP era so from what when was the year that they they won it with with um, Moner in two thousand seven who right. You mean so, Casey Stoner, uh-huh, the greatest, yeah. one of the greatest MotoGP riders of all time? Is that who you're talking about? Yeah, Moner. So he he won it with Bridgestones, and then it became the tire after that, right? It became the MotoGP. Yeah, there tire. became it became like a gravitation of everyone. Um, everyone started moving to the Bridgestones because I think, quite frankly, I think Michelin was doing some funny business. I mean, there's always kind of a little bit of funny business there's in the always in the paddock. funny business, but the funny business is overnighting tires that are made for specific people, for specific riders, right, right? All the time. And, and some riders got that level of support and some riders didn't. And that was part of the funny business, but the funny business, but yeah, there was, there was an exodus from, for, for teams and riders to the Bridgestones. And then finally Dorn was just like, let's just make it a spec tire. Because at that point, I think like only Rossi and maybe someone else were running Michelins. Yeah. And so that, for them was a, a boon. So they developed a lot. Now the question though is, did it properly trickle down to the tires that they make for, for like local road racers? And I would say no, because the people I knew that raced on DOT level tires at like uh, Enomra or Wormer or whatever, they could go okay. But nobody, nobody that was like high level would, would race them because they still had something that wasn't right for them, whether they didn't last or didn't uh, uh, provide ultimate grip or whatever that thing is. But I'd be interested to ride, to do a test with the DOT race tires, not just the street tires, but the DOT style race tires. That is something I'd like to do later this year. That would be cool. Um, Especially on a bike that's as like middle range as an R6, like generally known. Absolutely easy to set up, data for days, 
make a bike go fast on any tires type of bike, right? Yeah. Then you could do something like that on that type of bike. I, I would just say to your comment, like there's there's so much that goes into tires and, and Bridgestone's philosophy on how they build a tire and how a tire should operate. I mean, just look at MotoGP, you know, Bridgestone put all of its emphasis on corner speed and the front tire grip and being able to lean over obscenely and, and push that front tire as far as you can. And Michelin's a complete 180 where they're all about the rear tire. They want the, the, the exit speed, the rear tire pushes the front because it's got so much more grip than it, do, than it does, uh, than it did previously, I should say. And it's just, and then you get down into the carcass design. Do you want a soft carcass with a hard compound or a hard compound with a soft carcass or something of, you know, between the two of those? There's so much into it. It'd be so interesting to get a tire person on the show and have that conversation because there's so much depth there. And then, Dude, and we then you're just, supposed to get a Pirelli guy, right? So I guess that'll we're, happen. We're, yeah, the Pirelli people were going to come on the show and we had some some date conflicts and we're, we're going to try and make that happen, I think, around Laguna. I think cool. is, is the new plan. Love to do it. That'd be really good. I'm sure everybody would be. Stupid. Yeah, it'd be super, super interesting. We're um, one of the top guys from Italy for Pirelli was going to come on top of the show. So for those of you that don't know. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. And, and, and getting just to go down the tire thread a little bit more, this is the first time that I have ever run a full rain tire. Oh, before. really? Yeah. I'm from California. It doesn't rain, man. So that was interesting for, for me to experience and riding in the rain. I mean, I've ridden the rain before on a street, obviously, but on the track, like, like getting your knee down when it's wet is weird. Yeah. But those Bridgestones, they're, they're Were good. you able to do it? Yeah. That's of note, man. That's it's gnarly. hard to tell. Like if you look on my Facebook profile right now, that those are rain tires. Yeah, I saw. It's um, pretty clear, man. They're, they're, they're ribbed for your pleasure. Yeah. And then that's the thing. Like it, it reminded me a lot of riding uh flat track because the bikes just constantly move because the, the little siping rain yeah, siping, they're wiggly. Nothing. They is move like around wiggle, wiggle, wiggle a lot. And wiggle, yeah, you got to ride the wiggle, 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 wiggle. Yeah. You got any wiggle well, room, but wiggle, wiggle, tell, wiggle, tell the story. Cause I think this is an appropriate time of what happened when you went out and then basically burn them up as you were riding right, when it right. got, was getting dry. So, so it rained like a mother effer. When was that lunchtime? We got that's what I was saying. We got really lucky with the rain because we knew it was going to be a day with weather, and we 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 stayed out longer because we knew the rain was coming around like noonish, one o'clock. So we stayed out late, uh, did a late lunch, and then came in for lunch, and it dumped, it jumped, it dumped like Oregon dumps, and then um, Bridgestone guys laced up the wheels with uh, with the the full wets. The uh, they call it the W O one. It's their new uh, wet spec tire, wet race spec tire. And we went out and did some laps and it started drying really quick. Um, by the time we went out, it was, it was kind of spitting rain. And then by the end of the session, it started drying. So about a session and a half of, of wet weather. And then we started getting a dry line and the track started draining and, uh, we were still out on the wets. And that's, that's an interesting thing when you watch like a MotoGP race or a world Superbike race and they talk about they're on the wet tires and, and how they start, you know, they get too much heat and they start shredding. So that, that's exactly what happened to us. You start going through these turns and you get a little wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. And you're like, okay, that's the tire moving around. And you go through like a big standing puddle and you feel the bike do a kind of a weird little thing. And like, that's the water, that's the, the friction and the force of the water going through the siping on the tire, pushing back. If you ever gone through like a big puddle in your car and you feel like kind of the force through the steering wheel, it's the same kind of feeling. Feel the force. I am with the force and the force is with me. With me. <laughs> I am with the force. The force is with me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's just like that. It's just like that. It's like riding a motorcycle blind while stormtroopers are shooting at you, but and missing and missing. Well, cause, cause stormtroopers. stormtroopers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but then as the, the, the line starts drying out, you start feeling the bike move more and more and more. 
And then you start going through a couple of the turns, especially a couple of the faster turns, and the bike starts sliding. And you're like, oh, I'm pushing the front. But in a very bizarrely controlled it is, feeling, it right? It is the weirdest it feeling. It is strange. It, in a way, it makes you feel like a god because you're like, hey, I just slid both wheels through that turn and I didn't die. And I, that's like super Rossi style, right on. And what's, what's happening is the grip is just, you're losing grip so slowly that it's actually, it's controllable and it, and it doesn't really scare you. It's it's just more, it's more manageable. And I started chasing down um, one of my colleagues that I enjoy riding with a lot, uh, Troy Sihan, and, and we're going through a few turns and I feel the bike and it's, and it's pushing and it's pushing and we're sliding, we're sliding. And he pulls in and I start going on another lap and I'm like, yeah, that was a really good idea. Like I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm done. Sure enough, come in and uh, Thunder Hill is a lot of left-hand turns. And the left-hand side of that tire is destroyed. Did you take a picture? No. Dude. I know. Really? Well, I didn't did have my phone because the phone's in the car no. and I'm in my leathers. It's always good to just get a picture. I mean, I've seen it a million times, but it really, it would be, uh, if, if we had I'm, some show, I mean, show notes, man, I could have well, been doing had show that. notes. I mean, it's really easy to imagine. So imagine a, a rain uh, tire. Super siped. That you've taken a giant cheese grater to. You know, like, like some guys, they, they take like a sandpaper and they get rid of their chicken strips. Imagine they screwed it up and used a cheese grater, and that's what it looks like. Because it's just that like big fat meat of the tire where you've been spinning it up. Well, not spinning it up, but losing the grip. And it's it, spinning, man. It's chewing well, it up. Well, I was going to say like that's the thing though with the traction control on ah, on on the R six, you're not really spinning it up that much. Because uh, but we'll get to but that. Good traction control allows spin. It does. It does. And and that was one of the things like uh, my biggest complaint maybe with the with the electronics. It's like twofold. Like the the traction control, I did not see the traction control really come on at all when we had the R10 tires on, and that was even at the maximum level six, maximum intervention. But it would take doing a one minute fifty five lap time for that to happen. It probably right? would, yeah. Right. And, that, and that's the thing I was going to bring up. I saw Don Kane, who is no slow person by any feat. Hell yeah. Chasing down, uh, he I should say he he posted a video to Cycle World. Um, this is Cycle World's road tester, Don Kane, who races at Pikes Peak and has he was one he's of the people. He's one of the people thirty years. He's one of the dudes that started Supermoto, yeah, Superbikers. Um, Hall Asser, you know, industry fast guy. He he had an onboard video of him chasing Josh Hayes, and in the video they do a two minute lap. And I watched. And in those conditions, that's haul in the mail. Yeah. On, on a super sport on, or on a stock bike with headlights and shit. On yeah. a track that everyone's kind of tiptoeing around. Well, I yep. wouldn't say tiptoeing, but I don't think anyone's doing 100% because of the conditions. But I watched his dash, and at no point does the traction control light come on. Yeah. On a two-minute lap. Yeah. So, of note, right? So, so I had a hard time, especially with the R10 tires. You know, breaking them loose with that bike was, was very difficult in the dry. In the rain, it was even... You know, even with the traction control turned all the way up, yeah, it would come on and you would see it, but like you never really felt it because Yamaha's system is really good. Um, it doesn't have an IMU, but they are taking the, the the wheel speeds at the front and the rear wheel using the sonic Which is disc. different than a derivative style, which would only go rate of acceleration. That's which like, is based off I the I am crank. accelerating right. too fast. I'm going to limit it, which is very difficult to do when you have a, a three-dimensional pitch and yaw and of the of the tire and Wait, going I mean, to we're not flying planes here no we're not we're not flying planes that's that is a decoding um so so yeah there's no imu so let's let's call it like a second generation traction control system but they're uh the way they're doing intervention they can uh cut ignition cut the spark yep. change the fuel injection volume change the engine timing and also because it's ride by wire they can change the actual the throttle input 
signal sent to the throttle body, so adjusting the butterfly valve. So they have four, did I just, did I just say four or five different ways of uh, augmenting the power to the rear wheel. And that allows them, so with, you know, when we were in the wet, the traction control would come on and would do its thing, or at least the light would blink because the, the feel to the rider is nothing has changed. But the electrons and the nerds in Japan are doing all the maths to make sure that that everything stays copacetic at the rear wheel. Nerds, you're calling them nerds. Do they are nerds? You got to be a nerd to do that because yeah. it's it's high level shit. Extremely the algorithm. Oh my god. Yeah, it's, it's an it's, algorithm. It's, it's no, and to get it and to do it that well and to get it that that seamless on its intervention isn't easy. So so full props to them for that. My biggest complaint is maybe that the the different levels of the traction control aren't big enough to to, to bring a change. But I'm going to put a little asterisk there and say, hey, we're on a DOT race tire. We're not on the OEM spec S21s, which are going to have less grip. So maybe if we had the S21 on or a similar street oriented tire on, we would see some differences with the traction control. But uh, for the purposes of our test, it wasn't there. That being said, the ABS. You know, normally I'd be really poopy. Like, what do you mean I can't turn off the ABS? Like yeah. for me, I want to be able to turn the ABS off based on rear wheel. I love having my front ABS on and my rear ABS off. So I can yeah. lock up the rear wheel and run some sort of race ABS algorithm on the front wheel. And I'm a happy man through like 95% of the situations. Can't do that on the R6 system. Can't even turn it off. So I was ready to be super poopy about it. And I think most people would be super poopy about it. But truthfully, the way it came in and the way it came on, no fucking issues. I, I would say like even even advanced track day riders are going to have zero issues. And that's with normal the, with, with the most of these bikes with ABS, like whether it be the HP4 BMW or the Panigales, Maybe. Or, right? You know, like like I go back to that that the the RSV4 that I rode where I got a 203. I didn't have the rate the ABS set up properly on that, and I definitely would get the chattery feel going through um uh, turns 14 coming into that that hard braking zone and turn 14 on thunder hill i can distinctly remember having feeling the chatter from the abs uh on that uh whereas on the r6 like when it came in it was it was really smooth it was real subtle it wasn't like a jarring you know of it pulsating the brakes i'd be interested to see what their system looks like or how it's activated relative and that might be something we should uh, do because you know if we look at the brembo units over the years that have gone from like bread box size to right. Um, credit card, twenty thick size. I mean, it's really small. To see what maybe. Um, well, you're thinking of Bosch, but yeah, the Bosch. What did I say? Brembo. I'm sorry. The yes, Bosch. Bosch. The Bosch. Everyone runs the Bosch NM Plus, which is the one that is a dual channel. You can turn off the front and the rear brake, and it's teeny. And it's teeny tiny. And I would say eighty percent of the bikes on the market now run that. And, I'd love and they to just know. came out with the Bosch Ten, which is like the size of a credit card. It's so small. It is so so small. And what would it would be neat to see the Yamahas broke down because I don't know what I they don't use. know what system they're using. And be interesting that enough. would be I have a technical call with them on Monday, well, so cool. unfortunately we're not going to be able to get it onto the podcast. So you're doing the thing that you wanted to do, which you announced on Asphalt and Rubber, which is I'm going to give you a quick hey I'm out riding. Yeah. Then I'm going to give you a basic. This is how this bike was to ride, and then you're going to do a deep dive. I'm going to yeah. The goal. So the the basic goal is. I call it like a gone riding. So, and that's basically I'm at the track, I'm riding the bike and it's an opportunity for readers to ask questions while I'm there with the Japanese test rider that helped develop the bike with the Yamaha USA product development guy who, who helped, you know, 
set what specifications this bike needed for the U.S. market with the Bridgestone tire guy that knows more about tires than I'll ever, you know, he's forgotten more about tires. Are there any women at this? Were there any women involved at all in any part of this? No, no one were, no women were at the track. Uh, Not even journalists? I want to say period. That's amazing. And and it's fucked up. And usually like Yamaha's got like some people in its, its marketing and press departments that are women that will be there and, and they weren't. Um, but I was definitely emailing with them throughout the day, getting press stuff. Sure. Um, Sorry to bring it up. It's just no, something it's, that's on my mind, and I'm thinking about it now. I was like, I bet there wasn't one, even a female racer, nothing, and that's just And horrible. usually there's at least one female journalist, and there wasn't, and I don't know what the jam is with that. There's not a lot of them in the space, though, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, I can only think of a couple like that that I would expect to see at a launch like this where it's a sport bike track type launch sometimes um for more of the some of the street bike stuff we'll see more women show up yep but well, um that's a that's a call out to the listenership it's interesting get, everybody get their shit together to get themselves especially make uh, like a large women. intestine yeah get your shit together and start becoming part of the space and i want the manufacturers to listen to this and be like listen you need to you start addressing this like if you had women at some capacity that are experts, because I know there are out there, or some capacity expert riders, or something that can add to it, I know that they would be, it, it would be appreciated and and it'd be rad. And I'm, it's weird to think about that there was nobody there, none. You know. Yeah, I'm really trying to rack my brain. Yeah, it sucks. All right, didn't want to. I'm sorry to derail it too much. I just had to had to ask. Yeah. No. No. It's a good. It's a good thing. So getting back to the review format. Yeah. We, so we do a gone riding. So it's the opportunity to ask. Any questions you want with the people that have the answers. Like if I don't know the answer myself, I can go up to the dude that like designed the tire for this bike. I can go up to the guy that designed the seat and and, and do all that. Um, And then we're doing like kind of uh, the goal is to to have a very timely review out that is that is detailed enough that if someone that you should be able to have like an understanding of like, was this bike good or not? How does this bike handle? Like if you start having a conversation about the Yamaha R6, there's enough information there that you can feel informed and and in the know and then the goal is to follow up about a week or two later with a super detailed just everything i can possibly find out about this bike let's talk about the different metallurgy on the valve guide feelers and blah, valve blah, guide blah, feelers blah blah, blah 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 i have so many valve guide feelers i got some feelers no about doubt. my valve guide that would be then that's why i was asking because you're saying hey i'm gonna i have a technical call that's really cool that you're gonna right be able we to couldn't get to it the at the review because it was a bit of craziness, but um, yeah, so that'll look for that probably around the time this podcast drops. So Quint, we got to take a little break. Sure. For a little, a little commercial advert, but I, I want to play a game with you. Okay, let's do I it. I want to see, we're going to see, we're going to see how good you are. This okay. No pressure. All right. I want you to say the words you see in front of you. Dane easy. It's close. It's close. Dane, like Dane the person. Like Dane Cook. Yeah. That is wrong. Oh, that is wrong. Okay, we're, we're talking. We're talking about a certain Italian manufacturer of fine crafted leather goods and, and textile products for motorcycles, equestrians, and bicycles. You like that? Right off wow. the top of my head. Yeah. Wow. Rolls yeah. off your tongue. Rolls right off the tongue. But a commonly mispronounced name, especially in the U.S. market. So dinese. So say, dine. Say, say, so say, we're going to go out to dinner and dine. Dine. No, more like die. Like like you're dying the the leather. Ah, oh, you like that's that? good. That's knee, like under knee. Die knee. Say, say, like but say not what? see, not easy, not, not easy. like easy, easy, easy does it. And I hear it sometimes, like like the Aussies, like done easy, done Because like I think there's a lot of interesting pronunciations that I've heard come on the market. 
Dines. Dine. Ease. No. Die. Die. Knee. Knee. Die. Knees. Zay. Zay. Dinese. And then you gotta get Dinese. like a little you gotta get the little Italian roll with well, it. You gotta you get have the, to, but you have to Dinese. use your hands. You have to use your You gotta slow it down at the end too. Dinese. You gotta think of how Mario would say it in Mario Kart. I'm like, a Luigi, I'm a gonna win. Dinese. That's the Super Mario brothers. Dinese. Yeah. Okay. Dinese. All right. So we got that clear. So sure. now so now we can we can say Dinese. Dinese. Yeah. Yeah. Now you know. Go forth, spread the good word. Dainese. Dainese. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Later. Back to the show. Okay. All right. So um, I wanted to tell a couple stories regarding the R6 that just to, in response to some of the stuff that you've you've said. Um, one, front axle being stiff. Yes. One time in 2005, it was still the R6. It was the 03 through 05 R6. This is back when they would actually replace the models fairly quick. They, it and ended up being the R6S, I think, eventually. They, they started to call that specific bike because it was a little bit more of the, I don't know, it was actually kind of a comfortable do-all bike. This was the first, this is the second generation. This was the first yeah. generation that have fuel, fuel injection. injection. Fuel injection, yeah. exactly. So I, that was the bike I raced in 03, uh, the first time I raced AMA. Um, and when I got to Graves as a technician, they were racing them in 05 and they had been given the, the better forks with, um, radial brakes and for that specific year. And the race team was having fits with this in 05. They could not get that bike to do the things that the, the, the previous models were doing. So in 03 and 04, they had the setup done. They were doing pretty well. I don't know if they won any championships. I can't remember the time. It's Jason DeSalvo, Jamie Hacking, whatever. They were all fast and good and the competitive with all the rest of the bikes that were at the time. You got to remember the, uh, the CBR600RR was pretty hot at that time, but so, were, so was everybody else. Every, all the bikes were pretty good, whether it be Suzuki, Yamaha, Kawasaki, Honda. So... They were having trouble, super bad trouble with chatter, 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 uh, which is a, a high frequency oscillation on the brakes going into a corner, basically, at, or at any given time from, from the mode of brake on through apex of corner, at somewhere in there, they were having chatter. I don't remember exactly where or how it was working, but that was it. So the front end would, um, the oscillation would just make the front wheel go up and down, up and down, up and down at, I don't know, a hundred cycles per second or something. It was really gnarly. I mean, that sounds like a little bit too much, but, uh, it could be a hundred cycles per minute, maybe whatever. So the, what I remember seeing one axle one time I had to, as the graves technician that was working on our ones, I had to work with my, um, corresponding technician on the R6 because we shared a rider. So I was with Aaron Gobert, and I was working with uh, the technician that was working on Aaron Gobert's bike, and I had to take the front wheel off. And one time I did, and I took out the axle, and I was, and it, it, it almost went through the, the earth to China when I, when I took it out, and it, I was like, "Holy crap! That it was so heavy." I was like, "What the hell is going on with that?" And I looked through it, and normally they were hollow either a lot of the way or some of the way. And I look in, and it's filled. And I, I looked at Chris, the tech, and he looked at me and he's just like, he shook his head. Don't, <laughs> he was like, don't, don't say anything. I was like, what the F is that? So I don't know what the rules would have been at the time, but of course, if you're taking off material, that's illegal, right? And that would have been very clear. What if you're adding material? It turns out that they were turning up 
slugs of either lead or stainless steel. I think I'm pretty sure it was stainless steel and inserting them into the axles to try and dampen the vibrate. It wasn't a fix, but it was a band-aid for the high frequency oscillation. Sure, sure. And what it was was the front ends were too stiff relative to the chassis, which had been built with a little bit of give uh, and it was um, uh, designed with a right side up style fork, a normal type of fork to be used. And that's, you know, so when they put these wicked forks with the, that were uh, upside down onto the bike, uh, it, it, it created some issues until they could kind of figure out another way to make it better. And I think they eventually got it, but I think that plagued them through the year for sure until the next R6 came out which was suitably stiff all the way through and I, it was a really good object lesson for me to see what happens those forks that were on the 03 through 05 are notable for how awesome they are the right side up forks that came on those bikes they ended up being like they're super well um, uh, sought after for flat track racing of all things right for a very specific right side up forks is a thing in flat track for the most part because the 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 what we would view as a disadvantage in the road racing world is an advantage on the dirt track. A little bit of a flexiness. Yeah. Right. So, and, and not all the time, because there's certainly sure, now, sure. now bikes that have uh, upside down forks and flat tracking, but you know, it's a balance of it's fun. How to, how to ride the wiggle. How, how well, when it comes down to how is your chassis built yeah. and, and what does the rider prefer and where the tires dictate and what is the track? A lot, a lot of things going in there other than just the, the boiled down version we just gave for sure. So I figured that would be a cool story for, for people to find out. And I, again, I don't remember if that was effective, but I know it helped dampen damp damp. The, this is a, this is a problem. Did, hey, did you make it wet? All right. I wasn't damping. <laughs> I wasn't peeing on it. It wasn't dampening. All right. So then the next story would be the, the one time that I got, I haven't ridden on rains too many times. I've got, I, we live in Oregon. I've raced enough to have ridden on rains. So, at the time, though, this was in maybe 2010, I was on a friend's R uh, A48 that had a, a Bazaz trash control system on it, and I had been going well. It was like, I, I was first time in years that I'd raced. I was stoked because it was I was going fast. He and I both, uh, I, I probably weighed 170, and he weighed maybe 230 to 250, somewhere, big dude. He liked to have a bike that was loose. I liked to have a bike that was tight. We would swap. I would ride on Saturdays, and he was working at Motocorsa as a technician. This is Sage. And then on Sundays, I wouldn't race, and he would. It was a really, really strange situation. But he had seen me ride, and he was like, I think you should race this thing on Saturdays. So I did. And it worked out really perfect. And he had that Bizazz trash control system set up really well. I had never really raced in the rain and anger before. And there was a day that was raining and it was coming. And I it was so bad, it was wet and went to dry. And then there was a wall of rain coming. And you could see it on the West Hills of Portland. The PIR is the track, Portland International Raceway, which is only a few miles from the West Hills. You could see the wall of rain uh, go over the West Hills, like the West Hills were uh, obscured by rain. And first call happens. I don't have two sets of wheels. Rains were mounted because it was so bad. I had to go out in the dry and the rain was going to come during the race. It was a really weird situation to be in. But there was no way around it. And you, we, I had to, had to do it. So I gridded up on a on a dry track that had some puddles on it. But it was generally a dry track on brand new brand new and i think it was pirelli reigns at the time and that was a a really interesting thing to to have to deal with is going fast immediately and uh, a good time at pir 
for me was a minute 10. And that is hauling ass. There's no doubt that's fast. The fastest people were probably doing eights that day, really fast. But I, I had the potential of being able to do a 10. A really good track day rider would do a minute 16, maybe minute 17, right? If you're going fast and you're not sliding around and doing anything wild and you're hitting your brake markers and you're doing a good lap, minute 16 was probably decent. So for I go out and I think my first flying wrap was a 14. I mean, I immediately got comfortable on these tires. They they felt ghostly. It was like that weird kind of flowy, ethereal, kind of not quite connected. Yeah, described like riding on, it's... It's like trying to talk to someone with a mouthful of marbles. Mm-hmm. You understand what they're saying, but it's not yeah, quite it's not clear. clear. So that what it was communicating that I was gripping and it wasn't sliding, but it was just hazing everywhere around the track. And I ended up doing like 14, 14, 14 in a row, like a bunch. But PIR is only so big and it has a couple of really nasty corners. It's most, there's only one corner where you spend any amount of time on the left-hand side of the tire. The right, the, the right is the general, right? So that... It just got shagged over the course of the laps before it started to rain. But I got to ride uh, with increasingly more shag tires, especially going around the backside turn turn six at, at PIR is famous because it's like a long wall. It's really gnarly. And it's pucker factor 10 all the way speed. So that's right? what people refer to as the back straight. Yeah, they call it a straight, but it's, it's not, not. Right? No. It's not. And it's, got a, and it's got a crown to it. So once you get off the line, oh, you start getting shit. sucked out yeah. into this. So you basically have to suck yourself to the wall and point yourself at the wall the whole time, especially if you're on a rain tire in the dry that is shagged and just sideways, right? Not like flat track sideways, but you are your wheel, your wheels are not in line and it was really fun and really amazing and awesome for me to feel it. But as soon as the rain started happening, I was I, I was screwed. Really, there was much you can do because I had shagged the the sharp edges of the tire which are what cut through the water, had been eaten through on that side. On the other side, they were still sharp, and you'd be able to do fine, but there was only two corners on the track that are like that. So I ended up crashing on the like the last lap, and I had worked my way from being a mid-pack because I was on reins, not on slicks, to having, I think I got up to second place and or something like, it was very close. It was like top three, and I was really like stoked because I was way up there, and I had worked my way through on reins, and then it was going to rain, and I was going to be okay, and I wasn't because it it just was not ready for it, right? So I spun out and crashed, and <laughs> and that I mean, really, it was on the rear. That's of note. Uh, is other that, than that, Mrs. Lincoln, what did you think of the play? Right, but on of of note that it was on the rear. It wasn't even on the front. It was on the rear that I just spun the rear so yeah. much on, on yeah. going on to the front straightaway that you know I and then I, I hit the wall. It was okay. It was fine. And that's and that's the thing when you looked at look at my tires that rear. Totally shagged on the and, left. And what it looked like. and I Totally shagged the, on the left. Front tire looked fine. Yeah, sure. What what the, the the what the tire looked like is that if you had like a band of, ra- of like rabid kittens that yeah. were all scratching the tire. I'm going to use like, a cat Like imagine reference. my cat yes. and like 20 of her close friends. Just, all drunk or high and just angry. Just, just full right? asshole mode. All over the freaking tire. That's what it looks like. It's gnarly how much they just get shredded. All right. Just absolutely shredded. So yeah, cheese grater's okay. Kitten's way worse. Uh, we should wrap up the, the R6. A um, couple more things I would say is the... The handling's really good. The engine's really good. Brakes, brakes, brakes are better. The ba- the brakes got upgraded to a three hundred and twenty millimeter disc from like a three ten or from something. From a three ten, huh. and um, wow, the the bigger improvement is they put a a Nissan radial master cylinder on there, and that really improved the the lever feel. 
I want to say the old version was a Brembo. Pretty that's what sh- used to sure. be. It used that, to be. They, on back I don't want to be quoted on it because like I want. I'm not 100 sure that was what was on the 2016. I had I'm, to take a Brembo off an R1, which is identical to the one on R6, and put it on my 675 Triumph because Yamaha, the Nissan was so shred. Yeah, most Yamaha R1s and R6s have a Brembo radial. Yeah, I wasn't missing yeah. the Nissan. Let me tell you. You missing the Nissan? Well, you you enjoy the Nissan on, on the, this. It works pretty well. It was it worked really well. Um, the 27, 2016 bike, I should say, a little wooden feeling, not not horrible. Like I think the the FC10, the the lever feel was pretty horrible. Um, when I rode that last year, it didn't give you a Brem boner. <laughs> no, but it did give me wood. <laughs> a wooden feeling a wooden at the fe- lever. Oh, at the lever, <laughs> yeah, it gave me wood at the lever. Um, <laughs> Good. Send your comments and criticisms <laughs> to Quentin at <laughs> TwoEnthusiasts.com. So yeah, the radial, the the Nissan radial uh, master cylinder really made an improvement. Bigger brakes, a little bit more stopping power, and it's it's a noticeable system upgrade. And then you add in the ABS, of course, and and the the brakes are definitely an improvement. The suspension, sure. I mean, it's hard to tell. The, the chassis feel very very similar, but it is it is a R6 through and through where it has great handling, great response. You know, like you always hear like journalists was like, oh, it's like it's like telepathic. It already knows where I'm going to go before I turn or oh, it turns like a, like it's it's like using a scalpel. It's like it's like yeah. it's like cursing in French. It's so good. OK, fine. Merde. Merde. Nom de deux. But that you know, Yamaha always walks a really thin line between great handling chassis to tweaky chassis or twitchy chassis. Twitchy. I wouldn't say it's a twitchy bike at all, but like, like you said, like wheelie Hill, man, you get up in there, you, you know, you get that front wheel, you don't even have to pop a big wheelie, but you get those handlebars light and it can. Yeah. And there's no uh, steering damper. There's on that no bike. steering damper. So, and we like, and that, and that's my big thing. We had the quick shifter, Fitted, which is an uh, uh, oh, aftermarket cool. accessory. That's good to know. Yeah, it's not standard. Sure, but, it's but that's in, good to know that it's, it's out in the there market, for that. And it's like 200 300 bucks from Yamaha. It's sure. reasonable. Up Work, and down or just up? Just up. Okay. Works great, but just up. It gave me one false shift. That was it. And there's no steering damper in the catalog yet. Dampener. That, damper. <laughs> that's I not mean, like like in our situation, it was a dampener. Yeah, yeah. because you know the rain, <laughs> but it was a damper because of the vibrations. Oh, one of the interesting things that we used to do to those bikes, R1s and R6s, we had this little machined piece that you'd slide over the frame where the steering stops were, and it limited the steering um, uh, the stroke oh, of the steering yeah, yeah. side to side quite a bit. Your steering angle. Uh, so that if it did get a, 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 a tank slapper, at least it wasn't going as far. So a lot of people didn't notice it. It's a very trick little thing, and it would. I think it used to actually get put on the uh, the um, the front fairing stay or something it was a graves add-on and then it ended up getting transferred to the bikes but that that's a cool little thing and that, that can, can be do. important on some bikes because you uh, like, like i can think of a couple italian manufacturers steering lock to steering lock with your hands on the bars will break your thumbs oh for sure you could do a lot of damage and yeah. it it hurts like i've i've had it happen and saved it but that'll that'll wrench your shoulders and and oh my god the musculature you, in your hands and wrists it's gnarly and, that, and that's before you even realize that may they may have shooken your uh your brake calipers open and you have no brakes I've, if, if you haven't had that happen to you this is a notable thing and it's really really difficult to explain this but the the pads and a brake caliper have a uh, they're they're very heavy they have a mass and the pistons which are acting uh being acted on by fluid you know they have a mass too and if that front wheel shakes from side to side far enough those pistons are not 
at the they're 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 pretty far out from the from the axis there. So they will actually get the fluid shoved out of the caliper by the pads. There's so much inertia that they'll do this. And the I've had this happen. The centrifugal force is enough to overcome the pressure from yep. the hydraulic system and not even there's no pressure at that time right if you're just going and you're you're say, say there's, you're there's doing, a static pressure yes that so let's call it static pressure one the actually it's funny we're talking about that r6 the first time i ever rode my r6 race bike in 03 was at uh uh fontucky what do they call fontucky? fontana fontana uh auto, auto speedway so yeah. at fontucky this back in the day um Anything east of the 15 freeway is, is Kentucky. So that's why we call it Fontucky. So I, I come on the front straightaway and there was a seam. I went into a big tank slapper. The front straightaway is actually the banking of uh, Auto Club Speedway. I got into a nasty tank slapper that lasted half the straightaway, got collected up, and then I uh, got to the first turn, which is a peel off of the banking onto a, a, a basically a, a I don't know. Uh, I don't even know what you call it. it. Wasn't part of the. You couldn't call that part of the racetrack. It was almost like uh, a hazing road around the outside edges. Service road, kind yeah, of thing. basically service road, and then back out. It's a weird deal. So I couldn't make that because my I had no brakes. I had to pump, 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 and by the time I actually got pressure, I had to blow through what was cones and stay on the on the banking for a while. And it was a good freaking thing that there was that there, right? I'm and just the, saying, like if if you come in uh, on a a wet track that has become dry and you ask for some some DOT race tires <laughs> and the and the guys are awesome and they put them and on for you. And there's no steering damper. And they forget to pump the brakes for you and after they've changed the wheels and you go back out and get on the front straight and you're about to uh, make your apex for turn one and you go to grab the brakes and there's no brakes and you have to pump the brakes really quick before before you know you go off the track. That that's a really scary moment. Mm-hmm. That's a really scary thing. Especially uh, if you. I'm asking up, for a friend. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if if again, if you're listening, I'll put this in the show notes. Uh, if you want to, <laughs> if you're listening, if if you happen to be listening, is that what you're laughing at? Yeah, that's Cause, the cause part that's I'm funny. laughing at. Um, well, you know, they could have drifted off. They 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 could be like, wake okay, up. these guys, mom, wake up. All right. Um, since you're listening. I'll say. Uh, I was laughing at the show notes part. Do Let's the, just be fair. Let's be fair. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was laughing at the show notes I'll part. I'll put this in the show notes. <laughs> um, type in the YouTube 848 Street Fighter crash. And and chances are you'll get to the video of me crashing an 848 Street Fighter at Oregon Raceway Park. This was... I, I know this lesson. You're, you've got to have steering dampers. Dampeners? Dampers. dampers. <laughs> oh, no, I'm kidding. You got to have steering dampers on bikes that you're on track with generally pretty much hundred percent. Like you got to be very careful about this. And I'm not, I'm serious. Like be really careful about this. Cause that example I just cited with the R6, I, I had been, I was prepping the bike to race and I was going out there just to get some time on it. Cause I was a 125 racer. I hadn't got a steering damper on. I was like, eh, whatever. Had that happen. Didn't go back out. I was like, okay, that's it. I'm not really stoked on that. I'd had the day. Yeah. I'm done. How'd that work out for you? It was good. It was all right, right, for that day. No, I meant the, okay, yeah. How did what work out for me? Well, the part you're getting to. So then I had been riding this A48 Street Fighter after years of owning a 1098 Street Fighter, which had different steering geometry and a steering damper on it. A48, I had been to the Ridge, which has a couple of gnarly corners that make the head shake. I had been to Thunder Hill, which has these corners that we're talking about with the head shake. And I was at Oregon Raceway Park, which has a multitude of of corners that have this. It's basically blind hills 
or little rollers that cause your front end to go up and come down in a way that's not perfectly in line. So if you're if you're not perfectly wheeling uh, a perpendicular to the ground, the tire will hit on on the smaller circumference on either side and kind of cause a deflection. And most of the time, especially with this bike, it was proving to be pretty stable. I would get a little bit of a wiggle, 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 and then it would be fine. I'd had it happen multiple times. I get out to RP. I get offline passing some fools. I went over a roller that did, I normally... Did you pity the fools? I didn't pity the fools. They pitied me afterwards. Yeah. I went over the roller that I normally hit at directly perpendicular at an angle and had a really fucking gnarly tr- crash. And I uh, excuse my language, but it was a fucking gnarly crash. And you will watch this and cringe the whole time. No steering damper. Managed to not get hurt. Uh, managed to not get run over by one of my fellow riders out there. I was instructing for a track day organization. It was a bad deal. And I mean, I my arms and my, mainly the shoulders were screwed for months after this. It was really hard on my body. You'll see the crash. It's gnarly. Um, a bottom line, get a, get, get a steering damper. Yeah. If you're going to do track days, make sure your bike is outfitted with a steering damper. Done and done. That's all I have to say. This episode of the Two Enthusiasts Podcast <laughs> is brought to you by Bob Steering Dampers. <laughs> <laughs> when you need a little wiggle room, Bob's the guy for you. <laughs> well, you don't want Bob because then it would be like Bob and Weave. You don't, right? That insinuates that it would Bob and Weave. <laughs> it's not good. It's got to be like Steve. Don't, don't detract Steve. from No, but then Steve and Weave would be like Weave and Steve Steering Dampers. That's a good idea. All right. Trademark Quentin Wilson. B- business ideas. Weave, weave and Steve. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's not for baskets. You're not weaving baskets. You're weaving on your bike, right? Yeah. Okay. I, uh, wrap we, up. Wrap up the R6, maybe. Wrap it up. Yeah. Wrap it up. Um, twelve thousand two hundred for the U.S. market. Price pretty aggressively. That's I think. That's really good, isn't the it? The second cheapest bike in the segment huh? by like I think I think the Daytona six seventy five is two thousand on the nose. Um, twelve thousand. Twelve thousand. Okay. Got it. So, um, you know, like. Looking at the electronics and what they're doing, I think I think for me that's that's got to be the bike you Bang buy. For the Unless you're going to start spending fourteen plus thousand dollars on a on a Daytona six seventy five R, which has got a great value for the um, suspension and stuff that they they're putting on that. And then uh, I still think the the F three is probably the mechanically the best bike in the in the segment, but. Obviously, there's a lot of issues with MV Augusta, and I don't know. And the price is so high. The price. What is, is that? So sixteen high. grand. Uh, fourteen seven. I want to say. Hold on, I got it written down. Actually, it is still um, two and a half. Fourteen three. Sorry, my my apologies. Okay, so two thousand dollars more. But it does come with. It has a quick shifter installed yeah. from the factory. It's got. It already has traction control, ABS, and it's. It's beautiful. Better. Let's just be honest. Those that that electronic system's way way better. Is it? It's yeah. It really is. Okay. Uh, MV is one of the few companies that's developing their stuff in house. PJ seems to be going pretty fast on his World Super Sport bike. When it works. When, okay. when it works. He's having a lot of Is DNF he? kind of issues this year. So oh, no. But, oh, no. uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good bike, but it's $2,000 plus more. So that's kind of hard. And, and it's and like the Yamaha versus MV. And you're yeah. like, mm, I don't know. If, I'm not even going to say anything there. Make yeah. your own decisions. But I look at it like the Japanese brands, you know, like I like the, I like the Cowie. I think I fit on the Cowie a lot better than I do the R6. The R6 is a tiny bike. So there might be a personal preference there, but the, the engine's super good. Uh, there's no there's no power below 9,000 RPMs. Let's just be really frank about that. There's just nothing going on. And the party does not start until 9,000 RPMs. So you definitely have to work with the power band in mind. 
But this liver clutch works great. The chassis is awesome. The brakes are really good. Suspension's good. Yeah. Electronics. Oh, I, I do think I would I would reserve like my final judgment until I'm on like the street spec tire. But I do think they need to to reevaluate the algorithm they're using for the traction control. And I would love to see the ABS have some sort of race ABS mode or be, at least be disabled, just because there's people out there that want that. But, yeah, but they got to come out with that in a couple of years for some planned obsolescence, right? <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing, right? Like, how many more years are you going to keep trotting this thing around? It's the exact same bike. That's my biggest That's my biggest thing. And I was talking to a colleague, um, our friends at Motofire. Are, uh, Motofire? They're the, the Brit guys. I showed you their thing. The, the what guys? The, the two British guys, Ian okay. and Steve. Okay. Um, so I think they're running the review or, or an abridged version of my review on their site. And they have like their own little like rating format. And I was just like straight up like, hey, there isn't a single bike in this segment that I would give more than four out of five stars just because this segment is so stale and so stagnant and no one's really coming out with new stuff and no one's really pushing things You're forward. saying overall four out of five. Period. Like okay. the maximum score, like, you know, like, like it's like judging figure skating. We're like, oh, this trick, the maximum score you can get is a 70 because it's super easy or whatever. And I think they do that in ski jump, not ski jump, but freestyle. Like, oh, he's going to do a single flip. Okay, well, a single flip, the maximum you can get is like a 30. I'm not going to lie. I loathe judged sports, right? I don't really, like, if you got to judge it, sorry. Give me a lap time. Give me some sort of number that's, like, well, clear, right? Yeah. I, I, I'm just saying. It's fair. It's fair. I'll let you have that one. Okay, thank you. So, but but I was like, like, you know, like, in that, and with that in mind, I would give, like, the R6, like, 375. Out of four? Out of four. Okay, well, that's good. But right. but knowing that it's really out of five, but but because they're not pushing anything forward, <laughs> the, it's the, out of four. The bell curve the bell curve is skewed because it, it, everybody yeah, else is all, kind of like because everyone else is going. But you know, like and the Cowie's right there. Like you know, for me, the Cowie's probably like three seven. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, and I probably score like the MV a four, but then dock at a point F- for, for for being. <laughs> you you know why, <laughs> you know why. Uh, and the the, the Daytona is a good bike. I love the Daytona, but. At the base model spec, I'm not as big of a fan. Yeah. The value really is that R model. R, you kidding But then me? you're paying like 14 grand, and there's a lot of other bikes I'd buy for 14 and grand. And really for value. Truthfully, truthfully, the best super sport out there is the Ducati 959. <laughs> super mid. So, yeah, you mean the a, best thousand? It's, it's like the best, it's the best leader it's the, bike. It's Give the best leader bike. bike. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. I take it back. I take it back. The best super sport is the RSV4. Oh, yeah. Did I right. tell you that story? They were going to try and race it in the AMA. No, that wasn't just a rumor. That was legit. That's what they were trying to do, right? And the AMA was going for it. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll do that. And I think that was more incompetence than than like nepotism or anything like that. That was funny times. Better incompetence than incontinence. That's what I say. So switching gears here for a second. I think think we can put the R6 to bed. If you're in the market for a super sport, I think that's definitely the one that's on your short list. If you're a 2016 R6 owner and you're thinking about upgrading, go buy a bazaz and save your money. I think that's that's probably the quickest way. You're to welcome, that review. Patrick Stevenson. Yeah, uh, maybe advertise on a podcast. I yeah, don't know. Well, I, I don't talk know. to Amar about that. I don't know. <laughs> Let's. Uh, that's legit, right? What? I think you know what I mentioned it earlier about that 848. I said Bazaz, dude, you got like so many Bazazes out of that, yeah. and right, we're Let, not. Let's paid. go to Porcano and talk about it. <laughs> talk about that's it. our local taco place for yeah. those that don't live in Portland. We'll taco about it. Talk taco about, about it. it. Yeah. I got that. You know, I stole that from who? Marcus, the Omaha PR guy. It just, nice. It's all coming full circle. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Taco Cat backwards is Taco Cat, by the way. Just to make sure you know that. I have a friend named Neil that has a Taco Cat. He calls it. That's the same as Taco Cat. 
You know, I learn something every day. <laughs> I learn something new every day because of you. Um, switching gears. So I'm driving home from from the R6 launch as I do, and to pass the time, I'm listening to podcasts. Uh, never, never ours because I don't need to relive the uh, the nightmare that is recording these things. Stop it! I cry at night. Stop it! All those puns. Those cold sweat. I wake up with a cold sweat. I'm like, no, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but no, I was listening to a TED talk and they were talking about this concept of uh, choice overload. The basic idea is like when you have too many choices that you give customers too many different options and things like it's it's like an overload. Like imagine going to like TGA, TGI Fridays and like the menu you can get. You can get a hamburger and you can get a steak sandwich and you can get pizza and you can get tacos and you can get, you know, a steak and you can get the fish and you can also like yep. go get like... It's- Himalayan food and I don't even know what Himalayan food is but it's on the menu and oh what do I what do I order and the only commonality between all of them is a huge amount of sodium content right right and that's oh, it yeah. that's and the, the only and, common and the denominator <laughs> there is a tipping point where you how do I want to explain this if you have too many options and this is what the podcast is bringing up uh, this this TED talk if you have too many options it actually leads to fewer sales because people get overwhelmed and they end up just not making a purchase but there's also the other end of it where it's like you want to segment out your 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 user base or your consumers because not everyone wants the same thing in fact so there is a lot of advantage to to segmenting out you know to a certain extent so there's a balancing point there and and we were talking about this before the show and you were bringing up what was it the super bikes yeah all right. So yeah, that's one thing that's of note for not just superbikes, just in general, motorcycles in general that have a lot of adjustability. And it, it, you wouldn't believe how many people come into, say, a, a, the Ducati shop and they look at all of the adjustability that's on a Ducati and just on the suspension when it's pretty much as simple as compression, rebound, compression damping, dampening, damping, compression damping, rebound damping, spring preload. That's what you got on your forks. On the shock, you've got Sometimes the same, right? And then you might add in high speed compression, high speed right? And low speed, yeah. Right? And that's what the R6 has, I should mention. That and that has done for a decade, yeah. right? So you have those, and that alone, because most people are it's the hocus pocus of ooh, I don't want to touch that. What if I screw it up? Even though for most of these adjustable things on most street bikes, that adjustment range is a small window that isn't gonna like completely change the bike. It does have an effect, especially at the sharper end. If the person doing, say, if the target lap time is a minute 10 and you're doing a minute 20 to a minute 25, all the clickers in the world isn't going to change shit for you. It, it might change the, the feel a little bit, but it's not going to make you go faster. It's that last half of a click or quarter of a click that matters when you're doing a minute 10 and the lap record's a minute 9. Um, that was a famous quote from Chris Lessing, who was the suspension engineer for Graves and Ma- Yamaha for a long time. I don't know if he's still there. South African guy, he's rad. One day, uh, I was at Mid-Ohio, I'll never forget this one, uh, Eric Bostrom came in and was close. He was close to getting qualifying time or close to winning the practice or something. And he, Chris only made like the most minute adjustment on the front compression. And it was like, a quarter of a click or a quarter of a turn or something like that, almost inconceivable. And I had to write, I, I would make notes every time that there was a change on the bike, I would note it on a, on a, on a sheet. So I, I saw that and I asked Chris, I'm like, Chris, that was a really minute thing. Is, does that matter that much? And notwithstanding the fact that the closer you get to the, to the all the way in on a, on an adjuster, 
the more it matters, there's an exponent factor because it's a needle going into a an orifice. So that needle, the further it gets, the more it matters at when you're almost into it. So yeah, that happens. But this wasn't that. And so I'm not that's that's not what I'm talking about. What he was talking about was he said, listen, if you had a racer that's, you know, doing that minute, maybe a minute fifteen seconds, and we're trying to get to minute nine, none of this is gonna matter. But if you give me a rider that's at a minute 10 and he's trying to get the lap record at 0.2 of a second more. Yeah, that that's when those clicks matter. That's when that last little inkling of of feel that's going to allow that rider to get that much more traction on the on the on the braking going into that corner or allow them to take that line that allows a little bit more corner speed, etc. is going to matter. And that's of of note. And that that adjustability as a whole is one thing. But for a rider to get to the, a bike that just has all these types of different adjustments, it can get confusing. And on a super bike, you have those to start because we've seen this on street bikes now for 20 years that you have compression, rebound, and spring preload. And we don't need to get into the exacts of what all those do, but that's that's on the fork and on the shock. On the front suspension, rear suspension, that's what you got. If you add in also... Um, wheelbase which you can change with different gearing and the gearing affects the way the engine handles and uh, or the, the way the engine feels and then if you change that gearing and you might need to take your wheelbase back and then you've got ride height which is the the uh, where the wheel is in relation to the the chassis and you've got fork uh, uh, ride height in the front which is how much your forks protrude yeah. and th- so those are all things that most bikes have then you also add in swing arm pivot, which adjusts where the swing arm is relative to the front sprocket, really. And then you add in an adjustable offset triple clamp, which allows the changes in rake and trail. And then you add different rear sets, which allow you to position the rider at a different point on the bike. And then you take away weight off the top of the bike. Gearing? And, do we say gearing? Well, I, I already said gearing. Okay, and a gearing itself, not only for the gearing to change to suit the track, but also a smaller front sprocket has a different leverage ratio than a bigger front sprocket, which changes the way the chain pull works, which changes the way traction is is developed onto the by the time it gets to the rear wheel. Rear linkages, different ratios of linkage that go from a progressive rate to a flat rate, and on and on and on, right? And you just listed only the mechanical stuff. Yes, right. That's the thing, right? right? And now sure. we're going to put this whole another layer of electronics. Yep. We're seeing that in the superbike category where the different brands are trying to figure out how to deal with the idea that you're going to have engine brake control, anti-wheelie, traction control, ABS, throttle maps, all these different settings and how to put them into a meaningful and approachable uh, package. So like Honda's uh, on the new CBR, the wheelie control is tied to the traction control. You cannot independently set them. And like we were saying, you know, before earlier, you know, the ABS on some of these bikes is tied into a riding mode and the traction control is tied into the riding mode. So when I flick my hyper from race to sport, unless I go in and change some of those settings, it's changing my ABS settings and my traction control settings and my ride by wire throttle map all from the click of just one thing. So, you know, we're, we're even seeing the manufacturers trying to deal with this, this kind of information overload that they're dumping onto people's doorstep just on the electronic side of it. I mean, the mechanical side's like another 
another animal in itself. But yeah, it's, and that, it's and super interesting. The, the one I brought it up though was that you could get a rider that understands chassis dynamics and they will even ones that understand it they can get lost in the numbers and you uh, you change the offset fork offset by all and also do the swing arm but at the same time do the gearing and then you do a bunch of clickers because that's the way your last bike worked then this is the way i want it and then you're lost right sure. and it takes no time at all well, and understand too Every time you change one of those things, it changes the other. It's morally, it's 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 tied to the other stuff. That, that's so you're what I'm making, yep. and not even in a linear way. So like, you change your swing arm pivot. Well, you've just changed how your your uh, suspension is going to work, how your uh, rake and trail at the triple clamp is going to work, yep. how your and on and on and on and right? on and on. And on. That's, and it, that's the deal. That's why it's of note that if you get a rider that is too wrapped up into it, it can be a huge problem. Whereas if you're honest, like what we had when I was at Grapes was super stock, and yet we had a lot of adjustability for sure, but not all of those things that I just said. Our triple clamps were locked in, our swing arm pivot was locked in, etc. But holy crap, you could still get lost, but way less. And it it helped because then you had to deal with the thing you got and then you optimized the thing you got. And that was a super stock bike or a super sport bike. Whereas if you get a super bike and you got to be careful about it, I'd be like, you know, that you, it's talking about like the, like, be careful what you ask for. You might get it. And that would be what I would say with, with full adjustability. You got to be really, really careful with it because you could get it. I remember the 916s came with an adjustable steering head angle. Um, and that was gnarly. So 916 through 996, it came with it set in a very specific manner. I forget the degree. And then when you changed it, it changed the degree. It didn't change the offset. It changed the degree of the steering head angle. And people wanted that changed because you could swap it from stock and have a really quick turning bike. But it turned the bike into a twitchy monster no, well, not monster. You remember the cricket from Men in Black? Noisy cricket. That would that would be what it turns it into. Very powerful, very small and twitchy. So that for me was something that was a good object lesson. I tell customers that ask for that. No, 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 no. Let's raise your ride height. Let's drop your front end a little bit. I'll get you a little bit of your steering. Let's change your tires. Let's get a few things set before we do that. Let's just let's just set your sag first before we go to that. I don't think you want that. And, and even with a steering damper, it would turn the bikes into something very dangerous. So you had to be very careful about that. And that was too much. And that was just one adjustment on one bike, right? right. The Altas have a, a, an adjustable steering, um, uh, adjustable offset thing in their triple clamp, which is really tricky. And it's the same type of thing. It's not as extreme. I haven't done it yet, but I want to because that's what you want to do. You want to tweak it. And people like me want to tweak on it and play with it. And I I understand that, but you have to do it in a metered way like you were talking about, doing it in a linear way and figure out how to do it linearly. Yes. And, but that can you imagine you add that to damping to high speed oh, damping no, no. to spring preload that, that's always the things like like I I've got a I've got a riding buddy in my head who who's probably actually listening to the show and and will recognize the story about him but you know he bought uh, an Italian motorcycle I forget what model year it was and then 2 years later promptly bought the next iteration of it because it had more adjustments to the thing and I'm just sitting there going like, gotta have that swing arm pivot. And he spent like hours, you know, changing and setting it up and moving all these adjustments. And I'm just sitting there, I'm like, you know what would make you go faster? Uh, if you just just twist the throttle harder. Yep. Uh, and that's always the thing, like that's fun. Like going back to the R6 launch, you know, like I'm on the slower end of probably the journalists there because I would say I'm more representative of your 
typical track day enthusiast. Yeah, sure. Whereas a lot of my colleagues are like Don Kane is a, he could he could qualify pretty well for an AMA round. For oh sure. yeah, and you know we we had Adam Wahid on the show. He did he spent some time amateur racing. You have Chris Ulrich, Moto America AMA Pro Superbike racer, way faster than than probably, probably has more laps around racetracks than anybody out anybody, there. Anybody out there? One of the super super fast dudes, and probably one of the few people that pushed that R six to a point that. You know, like he he probably really tells the difference between the 2016 and the 2017. Sure, uh, and I'm sitting there going like, "Oh, these bikes are the same," and he's probably going like, "Jensen, you're an idiot." I'm like, "Oh yeah, well yeah," because because <laughs> I'm doing like a 210 and you're doing like a, t- a 150. But that's the but that that that's the question for the for the listenership or the readership for you is where do they want to get their information? Does the person that's reading Road Racing World really give a shit what a full-on triple throwdown racer tells them relative to what they're going to go do? And what's well, more realistic as far as getting an opinion? I right? think I think the people that go and read Road Racing World, that is the exact reason they go and read it. For sure. Because they want, no to, get, they want to get the Chris Ulrich perspective. But as in terms of like putting a pro racer on a, on a bike and going to that, that's, I think that's exactly why Road Racing readers go and read his review. And that's um, what I'm saying and, and, is, though, and, and because it's aspirational, it's that like, oh, I gotta get the 2017 because because you know, Josh Hayes went 0.5 seconds faster on it than the 2016 model bike, and you're like, cool, you're not gonna go 0.5 seconds faster, you're not gonna go 0.1 second faster. Like it's it's for people like me, it's it's that those changes aren't gonna make aren't what's holding us back. I'm not sitting there going like, man, if only suspension was a little bit stiffer and the front axle was only a little bit more beefy. But and that triple clamp was a little bit more supple. That would make the difference. I'd be, I'd finally break my two second barrier at Thunder Hill. I would do it for him. Well, no. sometimes though, that's what it's needed. And that, that sometimes you have to be pretty to far. You have to be pretty far off the mark. There's definitely some bikes that come out where you're like, whoa, 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 whoa guys. I don't mean that. I mean it no? for placebo effect tuning. This is what I call. It. Oh, so sure. Super I've placebo effect. That. The, these are the clicker settings you're looking for. This is the swing arm angle that you're looking for, right? This and then is, you go and ride with the confidence that yes, now my setup is, is right. Now it's good. Absolutely. So we would do this and then this, there was one racer, uh, kind of a chubby Australian that I worked for that would just fret over gearing backwards and forwards and left and right and constantly change it and what you do when you first get to the track on a weekend is not throw away your first outing, but consider that when you're going slower and you're seconds off of what the optimal pace is, that you shouldn't choose your gearing for that speed. You should be choosing your gearing to be a little bit taller than that and know that you're going to come into that once you start going faster. And this person just had a mental block in being able to do that and would have us changing gearing three or four times in a session all the way up to qualifying it was bizarre it was it was horrible and it became a running joke right i even had this person come to us after almost up to the qualifying session and say well matt maladin is running this gearing um and dude matt maladin's on a suzuki superbike and we're on a, a yamaha yeah, the, the internal gears are different yeah right and of course he doesn't understand that but just the fact that you don't matt, even have matt a clue Maladin. Right? Yeah. Are, are you kidding me? Matt Mon is going 10 seconds a lap faster than you on a bike that is a super, right? And anyway, it was very difficult and very yeah. interesting, but all you needed to do was figure out a way to tell him it was going to be okay or coddle this rider in a certain way and he would he would do okay. It was never going to be excellent because that was his mentality or that's he just wasn't there yet. He wasn't going to be an immediate. Dude, Matt Mladen would go out and be at 10.10 tenths immediately from the first lap on every single time. That's what made him a badass. That's why all the MotoGP riders all do that. It would be 
I'd be amazed if you go to a race weekend and the and they have the first session they're not really freaking fast right off the bat. That's how you test parts. That's how you develop a, a a setup for a bike. If you're off, it takes a while to get to it, right? And it's a bad deal. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we should probably uh, wrap it up. We should thank Dainese for sponsoring this podcast episode. We should thank our listeners because they already earlier in the show text messaged or called a friend and said, Hey, you got to listen to the two enthusiast podcast. So thank you for doing that. And, and the new friend that's listening to the show. I now, I now say to you, pay it forward, go, go find another motorcycle friend that doesn't listen to the two enthusiast podcast and tell them to, to get listening to the show because we want to spread the love, the information and the enthusiasm uh, for motorcycles. Uh-huh. You like yeah, that? Sure. That's just right up here in the set. I didn't even write that one down. Yep. Yeah. Good times. All right. Kickstands up. Good talk. See you out there. Later. And we're seeing that in the super spot, in the super board. Jeez, Jensen. Pick a word.